I brought my baby book with me this morning. How many of you have a baby book? Wow, a few more, but not, not as many as I would expect. I mean, why does not every one of you have a baby book? I wanted to show you just a few shots from my baby book just to give you an idea. That's, that's my little bracelet there in the center. has my name on it, Venema. <laughs> but they put that on the baby, you know, when they're just brand new. The name of the baby book is Baby's Milestones, Birth to Seven Years. Hmm. That's the hospital I was born in. There's a little smudge on the top picture that shows you the room that I was in. These things I know are tremendously fascinating. <laughs> There's some of my hair at different ages, first and second haircut. My first haircut was at six weeks. Yeah, some of you know what that means. There, that's me, the little baby, and the, that, now you can see how much hair I had. That was at eight weeks, and those are my feet. And these, you'll notice all these things didn't just get put there by an angel. That was my mother's work. She was very busy. Yeah, that's my, that's the first couple of, each one of those is a Christmas, the first seven Christmas days that's representative of the whole thing. And those are pictures of little John. That was my first bike. Baby's milestones, birth to seven years. The first seven years were mom and me. I mean, my dad was around, but I mean, come on. You, you can imagine what it's like. A little boy and his mother, a stay-at-home mom. Mother and son for seven years. Seven years of plenty. Seven years in which my mom worked on this baby book. Of course, it was in the end of the seventh year that my sister was born. And like I said, seven years of plenty were followed by seven years of famine. <laughs> this is... This is the history of John right here. This is my gospel. And my mother went beyond the seven years. She went all the way up to my 18th year. There are, there are recordings here of weight and height and other artifacts that I relish from zero to 18, which was just shortly before my mother fell gravely ill, and died. The interesting thing as I was looking through this book this week and reading it, reading the history of me from the archivist and curator of my life, I realized that I'm the only one who cares. I mean, if it weren't for me, we wouldn't even have this baby book. 
And the day will come when somebody will find this baby book laying on a trash heap, flip through it. Hmm, interesting, you know? Maybe give it a, a minute or two and then return it to the trash heap. That's because as much as I try to make of my life, my life doesn't count that much in the grand scheme of things. And there is a point in everybody's life um, when in a way, when you die, you will be the last person to have seen or known something on the face of this earth. If I was a president of the United States, it's likely I would have a presidential library and in that library, my little gospel would be proudly displayed. And people would be fascinated with my life. And they would just drool over some of my firsts, like my first word, or my first sentence, or my first question. And you know, questions don't come early in the development of a child. Uh, my first question was dutifully recorded. My question was, what's this, Mama, at 24 months of age? I'm surprised she even, you know what? That's his first question. But I remember asking lots of questions. Why, 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 why? And I remember seeing my mother work on this little book and asking questions about it. My first two questions, at least the ones that I remember that were of note to me, is, Mommy, did you want a boy? And my mother answered, God gave us you. We would have been happy with a boy or a girl, but God gave us a little boy, you first. And that's what is most important to us. And then I asked her, why did you name me John? And she answered, because I like the sound of John. I thought that was a little weak. <laughs> so I pressed her, you know, nothing more, just John. <laughs> and uh, she said that, and you know, my dad was involved in these these decisions, but she went on to say that they, they entertained naming me Steve. You know, it's a funny thing about a name. Uh, your parents give you a special name. I know now it is top secret business. I mean, there are, t you would think that some of these names, as they await the birth of a baby, are set underground in vaulted caverns, you know, beyond, uh, beyond the reach of humankind because they're so important. And um, I know our neighbors stole the name that we set aside for our first child. Uh, they had their baby just a little wee proudly say, oh yeah, we're thinking of this. And uh, lo and behold, their baby was named this. But anyway, uh, it's interesting that not only do we put a lot of value into the name because it holds for us 
uh, personal aspirations that we have for the child. Some of them may be grander than others, but there's always a bit of aspiration. It's a, it, it has an element of target in it. And, and yet, a person grows into the name and builds the meaning of the name, actually builds it up or tears it down by the way they live their life. Names are associated with character. And I remember that when Shelley and I were looking to name our first child, we both, so to speak, brought names to the table, and then we negotiated because names that she brought, maybe I didn't like because I knew somebody with that name, and that person spoiled the name for me, and vice versa. And so we settled ultimately on a name that had lots of potential for character building. Names are a big deal. In fact, Proverbs 22.1 says it well, I think. A good name is more desirable than great riches. Names, baby books, the first statistics of a child, all are important at birth. I don't know that baby books are a thing these days. I've been asking around. It doesn't seem like anybody's keeping baby books these days. I'm sure they're being done somewhere. But what is being do done and what has caught my attention is the reveal. Everybody seems to be into the big reveal. And often, it's the reveal of we're pregnant. I've even seen some people with social media reveals for getting a puppy. So this is a deal. This is a big kind of thing. Well, this morning, I want to draw your attention to the biggest reveal in history. And it's the reveal of God through his messenger, the angel Gabriel, who dwells in the very presence of God. Just let that sink in for a moment. Not everybody dwells in the highest presence of God. And we are introduced to him in the first part of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, where he reveals to Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, that she who has been barren will give birth. To a son. And we are told something about the stature of Gabriel. And we learn something about him and his name and his character and his power in that opening chapter. And it is this very messenger who now reveals himself in the sixth month to a young virgin named Mary. And the amazing thing to me is everything that we would want to hear at a reveal, everything that we would want to know at the birth of a child is here brought forward in advance before even the mother knows she's going to be a mother. That's a reveal. We're told whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. We're told the child's name, the child's weight, the child's height, 
In fact, even we're given a good idea of the child's length of life. Who doesn't want to hear that a child is going to go on to great things? So let's look at this reveal. It's in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, to the house of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, overshadow you with the power of the Most High. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her and who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of God. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You will give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. That's an amazing thing to be told that you're going to bear a child, and then a son, and then his name, and then his stature. Well, I mean, how big will he be? What will his weight be? Well, he will be great. He will be great. And everything that follows elaborates, amplifies on the meaning of the name Jesus. The name Jesus is... Uh, so familiar to us, maybe sometimes too familiar. It's good to remember that not only did the name Jesus bear 
aspiration and character. But this child named Jesus added great aspiration and character. And if we sum up all that we know, not only of the birth, but of his ministry, his trial and his death, his crucifixion, his burial, and then resurrection, the outpouring of the Spirit, his work and continuing manifestation in the lives of his people, his church, Wow, the name Jesus. There's no greater name. It's the name above all names. And indeed, it is fitting what the angel reveals. But what Jesus will reveal is God. Jesus is the ultimate revelation the complete and perfect revelation of God. And it is upon his name that we call. Now, I know I, I, I don't think of myself as a Steve. Uh, I once pretended that I had a twin brother who died, and his name was Steve. Some of you will probably outside later today or maybe next week, call me Steve, but I won't respond because uh, I don't respond to Steve. I'm John, just plain old J-O-N, not Jonathan, just John. Not, not Jacques, not Sean, John. Jesus, when we call upon him, we're calling upon so much. It's beyond really our ability to grasp that he is so available, so readily available to us that he calls us his own. But in him, in his name, when we call upon him, we are exercising familiarity that is just unimaginable. And that's, of course, the story of Hebrews. If you've never read the book of Hebrews, the writing of Hebrews, the accessibility and familiarity we have with God, who we are because of who he is. But we are to call on him and we use the name Jesus. And so, as we get ready to celebrate Christmas, as we prepare our hearts, Advent Sunday by Advent Sunday, this is the second Sunday of Advent. Next week will be the third. What we will call Christmas Sunday on the 23rd will be the fourth Advent. And then we have a day and a night to prepare for actual Christmas in which we celebrate the adorning of our hearts the readying of our hearts, the gifting of our hearts to this incredible child who is none other than the one we call our Savior. And it is in his name that we access all that we know about God. And what we know is so beautiful. 
sobering, awesome, in the, in the greatest and highest and the most unfathomable sense of dimension in which we use awesome. But we call on the name of God through this name, Jesus. And that's what I want us to appreciate and enter into this Advent and as we prepare ourselves to celebrate Christmas, to call him by name, to call on the name of Jesus. It's an easy name. It's a really easy name. In English, five letters, two syllables, Jesus. I am so grateful that God in his superior wisdom did not name him Maha Shalal Hash Bahas. That was the name that God had Isaiah give to one of his sons, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz loves me, this I know. For the Bible confusedly tells me so. Or in the name of Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, amen. No. Even in Hebrew and Aramaic, Jesus is Yeshua. Three syllables, Yeshua. Amazing information by really dogged legwork. Um, in the early 2000s, a scholar by the name of Ilal. Uh, gathered up all we know and did a lot of uncovering work as well, meticulous work to record all the names that we knew about that had been exposed either th through epigraphy or uh, etchings on stone, headstones, uh, writings of the period, of the period around Jesus' life in Palestine, and out of that wealth of all those names and that data, uh, Ilal found out that Jesus is the sixth most popular name. Uh, she can, you know, give us all of these names that she's discovered, but by their incidence, she can tell you which is the most popular and uh, the top ten names of that period of time, and Jesus is number six. But all of the names of that time are popular because, one, they make reference to the Hasmoneans, or what we call the Maccabeans, who fought for Jewish independence, just like Joshua, and that's why Joshua is the sixth most popular name, which is what Yeshua is. It's a shortened form of Joshua, who delivered and helped in delivering the people from bondage and leading them into the promised land. And so Jesus, or Yeshua, is a very popular name because of its historical overtones and their liberation and dependence upon God out of the Exodus. The other reason is because, like these other top ten names, 
it includes or incorporates the very personal name of God. The name of God is revealed to us in the very events of God's deliverance of his people from bondage. They were enslaved, and God took notice, and in a flaming experience, he revealed himself not only to Moses, but he asked Moses to be his representative and be a part of his reveal to the people of Israel, to his people. We're told about that, especially in Exodus chapter 3, particularly verses 13 through 15. And we see in this how esteemed the name of God is, even the name of Jesus. Because in Exodus chapter uh, 3, verse 13 through 15, uh, if we enter the conversation that's taking place between God and Moses, Moses said, God says, I want you to represent me to my people. And he says in reply, who shall I tell them has sent me? And he is seeking the name of God. When you use a person's name back in the Semitic uh, ancient world, the name had power. And if you had the name, you had power. So God replies to Moses first of all, and he says uh, in Hebrew, uh, Ayer, Asher, Ayah. Ayer, Asher, Ayah. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. In a sense, he says to Moses, Moses, I'm God, you're not. But Moses persists, and he says, then... He says, tell them, and he doesn't use ayah, he uses Yahweh, which is the third person. Tell them he will be, has sent you. And that becomes, in effect, the holy name of God. When you read in the Old Testament, every time you read Lord in lower caps, have you ever noticed that? That is taking the place of the personal name of God which he, which he revealed to Moses and which became the distinctive way in which Israel related to their God and to his saving acts in delivering them. And the amazing thing is, is they use that third person singular, he will be, because they're now talking about him in the third person. They're not talking to him, Right? as Moses was in the second person, and which God communicated with Moses in the second person in his mediation, revealing God to the people. As God led them not only out of Egypt and through the sea, but led them in to liberty in the wilderness by the pillar of cloud and the light at night. But when he brought them through the sea, Miriam, the sister of Moses, began to sing because God had delivered them from the mightiest force in that entire region, their oppressor. And Miriam sang this, and this is in Exodus 15, verses 1 through 4. Yahweh is my strength. Now, Yahweh, he will be, is 
it's basically the verb to be. And when you use the verb to be, you, if you just say I am, you're meaning I exist. But if you say I am John or I am a teacher or I am a husband, I am a father, you are adding what we call predicate predicate adjectives or nouns. In other words, we're completing the predication of what a person is, right? He is, she is, this, 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 and this. Israel realized God was revealing himself, not only in what he spoke to them through Moses, but what he was doing on their behalf in promise to act as their God. And so, when he brought them through, brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of captivity, brought them through the Red Sea, Miriam sings, Yahweh is my strength. And all the people are singing with him. Miriam, the sister of Moses. Yahweh is my strength. See, He will be my strength. He will be my song. He will be my salvation. He will be my God, and I will glorify and exalt him. He will be my warrior, my champion. These are the things that they sing because this is what he has proven himself to be in their lives. And I learned this because I was studying in, when I was co- teaching college the book of Exodus, and I spent a great deal of time in this, and I realized I can do this in my own life. As I realize who Yahweh is in my life, as I realize who Jesus is in my life, I see him acting and working in my life. I began to complete in predication from my own experience who God is to me, how he acts on my behalf, how he answers my prayer. Do you see answered prayer in your life? Is he your song? He is. But is he your song? Is he your strength? Is he your champion? The most important thing that Shelley and I have found in our marriage, going back all the way to our vows, when we pledged each other to each other, was that we were pre-pledged to God that his lordship was greater than our lordship to each other. And in fact, because of the strength of his lordship, that he was champion, that he would always be the champion of our marriage. In every marriage ceremony that I have the privilege of uh, officiating, I always make mention that God will be the champion of your marriage. And I bring it up. Because God is just as real today as he was when he delivered his people from Israel. Do you know, even as we look back on the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus in the light of the work of his life and death on the cross, so the Jews look back on the Exodus, the two great redemptive events, and they're combined in the name Jesus. Because Jesus, or Yeshua, means Yahweh is my salvation, or Yahweh saves. That's in a name of esteem. And Jesus has proven good on that, even as 
Gabriel, in this big reveal, said his name will be Jesus. He can be the champion of your life today. If you're struggling in your marriage, maybe in some way you feel alone. Maybe you've come here with troubles of a different kind that are all alone your own. But in the intimacy of your relationship with Jesus Christ, God is your champion. If you'll depend on him, call on him, use his name, the name of Jesus. It's an exclusive name. When uh, he talks about him being son of the most high, he's talking about the divine elements because just the word great in the absolute like that is not used of anyone but of Yahweh. To say that this child whose name will be Yeshua will be great, everything else is just filler. But what is filler? He will be the son of the Most High. That means he is going to be the very child of the divine creator of God. And he will give him, just as in Psalm 2, to the Messiah. And through Nathan to David in 2 Samuel 7, God talked about giving the throne. He gave it to David, and it was the heirloom of his lineage. And now the angel says, Jesus will be the heir of that throne. God is going to give him that throne, and we see the divine, and we see the human dimensions of this child. It is because of his victory, not just over property and land, but his victory over something that no one has ever conquered, and that's sin and death that the early church in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 said salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Or in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess because of the name Jesus. It is an enduring name. In Jesus' name, we not only see his authority, his royalty, but we realize even in the scope of human history, this name, Jesus, has sticking power. Yaroslav Pelikan, professor, author, historian, says Jesus through the centuries, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for 20 centuries. It's from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars. It's by his name that millions curse. In his name that millions pray. You know, there is, although it's, uh, it's questioned, but I think it's really quite documented that Napoleon, 
after he was exiled to St. Helena, wrote a letter in which reflecting on who he was, his life, and his rather bleak-looking future, that he should write something like this. Alexander, Caesar, Julius Caesar, Charlemagne, I, myself, have founded great empires, but upon what did these creations of our genius depend? Upon force, upon coercion, brute power, right? Upon force, he says. And then he continues, Jesus alone founded his empire upon love. And to this very day, millions will die for him. I think I understand something of human nature, he continues. And I tell you, all these were men. And I am a man. None else is like him. Jesus Christ was more than a man. And my own personal testimony would say that you would search in vain in history and spend the balance of your time and life researching and studying to find anyone comparable to this child, this reveal, this man, Jesus. It's an enduring name because he has defeated sin and death. And it is an empowering name. You know, at a personal level, um, I was rather just looking at it this way, it really hit me from Philippians 4.13. Um, very familiar to us. People print it out all the time. Uh, sometimes you'll just see 4.13. You know what it says? It's a kind of a confession of Paul. And he says, uh, and I, re I translated it this uh, last week a little differently just to try and bring out some of what it can mean. Um, he says, uh, I'm strong at all things because of him who empowers me. And it is then implied, I have that strength in all things, all circumstances, all situations, because he gives me a power. He is the empowerer. And the amazing thing is, and we looked at this a couple Sundays back in 1 Timothy 1.15, and then also again in his letter to Timothy, which are a little more intimate, and he's talking about himself, you know. He reveals himself in some ways in those letters, and in 2 Timothy 2.1, he does the same thing. And he talks about God being, same verb, same, same construction, he empowers me. And then I noticed that you know, in Ephesians chapter 6, 10, and again in other places, he says, be strong, you be strong in the strength of the Lord. You see, we're not just talking about a miraculous birth. We're not just talking about a miraculous life. We're not just looking at a baby book or a gospel. His gospel is so much bigger than mine. 
my little gospel. That's what my mom was writing, a little gospel of John. But now you're hearing the gospel of God, the gospel about Jesus Christ. And you have the privilege of him who reveals God to us. And not just revelation so that we can be in awe, but that we can be changed and transformed by the new life that he's brought and empowered. So yes, call on his name. On the name of Jesus. It is such a sweet name to us because we know this. It's a matter for us to practice it in these next couple of weeks as we get better, uh, get ready for Christmas and get better for Christmas. There is a name I love to hear, and it's the name Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. There's something about that name. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. Take the name of Jesus with you. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Blessed be the name. Those are all testimonies. Songs we know, but those are all testimonies. Your life can be a testimony like that too. Your life is a testimony when you find your power, your life, your champion in the name of Jesus. Will you stand with me? I'm going to close us in prayer. And I'll be up here along with the pastoral staff or elders and deacons, their spouses who are here in this service that will be forward to pray with you if you would like to pray if God's spoken to your heart I can't think though of anything more important than uh, calling upon the name of Jesus and maybe you don't know Jesus this morning or you, you don't even know why you came to church this morning maybe you haven't been to church in a long time You hear more about church and more about Jesus in the news or from others in casual conversation, but today because of your life hurting, you, you decided to come, come to church. You picked this out of the phone book and you came. But you've heard about Jesus this morning. You don't have to have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. Because what I'm talking about, and I'm talking about this this morning to all of us, Although I've dedicated my life to, to trying to get answers, to be better prepared, to rightly divide, aptly interpret, and fully understand the Word of God, it means nothing if I don't call on the name of Jesus. A lot of times, to really call on His name, you've got to let go of some of your individual uh, strength and independent thought. I can do this, you know. In a world of I can do this. The first step to really calling on his name is encountering him without mediation. One-on-one, face-to-face as it were. 
name to name, person to person. That's the Jesus I'm talking about, not an antique of history. We gotta put the true and living Christ back in Christian. People are interested in putting it back in Christmas. I'm interested in seeing it put back in the word Christian. But maybe you aren't a Christian this morning. Maybe you are, but if you need to pray, let's pray together. And if you aren't, let's change that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son above all. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who operates in our lives to magnify and to make intimate our knowledge and appreciation, the very presence of Jesus. Father, it is such a privilege to be called your children by virtue of who Jesus is in our lives and the work of your Spirit. And we praise and thank you in that matchless name, Jesus. And all of God's people said, God bless you.